Welcome to Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. In this teaching series, Scott explores the biblical truths of the other reality. Um, I don't know if it was on your route in, but like mine, half the streets are flooded, <laughs> the highways overflowing with red dirt from all the construction out here, and... Um, but I, I just believe God is pleased when you make a sacrifice to come out. And I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor and I want you to come to church. I do want you to come to church. <laughs> I want you to come, but, but I just believe it's pleasing to God when you make a, a sacrifice to come um, because you want to come worship Him, because you want to come hear the Word, because you want to come be a blessing to somebody that's part of the church family. Um, so anyway, I appreciate that, and, and especially, I want to say in that last vein, I appreciate this worship team and your commitment, what you guys are doing. Yes, let's give them a hand. And it, it really just was a blessing to see Ryan up there doing his part. I want you to encourage him. You know, it's hard to be a one-armed drummer, <laughs> but he, he needs encouragement. He's doing good, and I, I was just... I was surprised to see him up there, so good job, Ryan. Um, but anyway, we're, we're talking about today, God's financial system. Yes, remind me of that at the end. We're going to pray along those lines at the end. <laughs> we don't have any oars. Uh, we do have umbrellas. Anyway, this is going to taper off soon. But um, we're finishing up today this series on the other reality, talking about God's financial system. And I like the words to that last song. There were several lines in there that go so well along with this. It's talking about open our eyes to the things unseen. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Everything for your kingdom's cause. You notice the emphasis on that was about things in this other reality in the kingdom of God. Not focusing, it's encouraging us. We're singing words to encourage ourselves, not to focus on the natural realm, but to focus on the things unseen, to put our priority on what we do for the kingdom's cause, not for my personal selfish desires or not just for my own self or my own family only. But, but for the kingdom's cause. So, you know, for the kingdom's cause, you'll get up and come out in the rain and the cold <laughs> to come to church. So I believe you're getting a hold of it, or you've gotten a hold of it. Many of you have gotten a hold of it a long time ago. I don't know why I keep looking at that. Um, but this is, this is what we're talking about. This, this consciousness of there's something bigger than just what's going on around me. There's something bigger and more important like that song's talking about. There's a cause that's more important. Let's just take it down to the lowest level. There's a cause more important than my personal comfort. Because if it was all, all of us, if it was about our personal comfort, we'd still be under the covers at home right now. <laughs> or around the table drinking warm coffee <laughs> and having a big breakfast, right? Um, but but there's, there's, cer- there's certain things that are rise to a level 
higher than our personal comfort. Even beyond that, you, we might get to a level of beyond that amount. I'm willing to, you know, work ethic, work hard, do things. But even beyond that, it's not just my ability and willingness to work and my strength maybe that God's given me. But it's what does, what's his kingdom's cause, as the song said. What is it that he and, and, and his kingdom, and more particularly the Holy Spirit within me, what has he directed me to do? I believe he directed you to church this morning. <laughs> so I'm just believing he's got something already that you've received out of you sacrificing to worship him from your heart. But also, I believe he's got something for you to hear this morning, something that's going to be a blessing to you. So pray with me and let, let's, just, let's just release our faith for that. But I wanted you to know that, that it, it's, a, it's pleasing to God for you to, to make a sacrifice and, and take a stand for the kingdom. Father, we thank you again. We, Lord, we thank you for the, for the rain. Lord, we need rain. But Father, we thank you for this rain tapering off for today. Thank you, Lord, for this, these puddles and flooding uh, going away. And we thank you, Lord, for safety, for protection. But, Father, I thank you for each one that, that came out this morning to, to hear the word, to worship you, to be a blessing today. And if for no other reason, just to seek a blessing from you because you are the source of all of our strength, all of our provision, everything that we would ever need You've provided for us. You've paid the price for it. You've laid it up in our heavenly account. And so, Holy Spirit, we just want to be vessels that will bring glory to God today. So we want to cooperate with you in the rest of this service like we have in, in the prior part. Yield ourselves personally and individually to you for whatever you'd have to speak to us that we'll obey, but also whatever you'd have to show us, to reveal to us. We receive wisdom, revelation, and understanding from you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for showing us the Father's heart. Thank you for revealing the will of God to us. We receive it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, this is the, the last Sunday on this series. And so we always start out reading the, the verse that, that's kind of the key behind all this, which is 2 Corinthians 4.18. And it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then we added to that Hebrews 11.3, which says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So just a reminder there of where we started off in this series and talking about this other reality was the first reality, was the higher, is the higher reality, was the original reality that created this reality. The things that are in this other realm, the spiritual realm, 
the things that, that we can't see with our natural eyes most of the time are the things that were, are more real than the things we do see with our natural eyes. And they are the source material. Remember we talked about those first couple of weeks about matter? Because it's important that you understand what matters. <laughs> and what matters is the matter. All this stuff, physical stuff you can touch that's either hard or porous or whatever. Concrete. All of it, it came from and exists by the source material, which is invisible. Which came from this other reality, this kingdom of God reality, the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm that you can't see. And this is hard with the natural mind to wrap your mind around it. So you just got to receive it because the word says so. But all this stuff, including this hard concrete that we're all sitting and standing on, and the chair you're sitting on, and the clothing you put on, is all made up of molecules that came from the spiritual realm. They didn't, exi- they didn't exist, much less were they not even visible, but they came from things that weren't visible, and God spoke them into visible being. And if that invisible realm, the source of all of this, were to stop existing, this would disappear. Poof. The Bible says the world is held together by the Word of God. It says in this scripture we just read, it was, it was framed by the Word of God. It's still, and it's held together by the Word. So, lest we think that God was like some people believe that the... the eternal clockmaker who just wound all this up and then let it go and it will go on its own. That's not the way it works. Now he put his word out there when he called it into existence. He's never called that word back. His continual power and faith in that original word is what holds this together. If God were to ever lie, this whole thing would just disappear and fly apart because it's based on the integrity of his word. And so that's, a, that's really deep thinking, isn't it? That's deeper than most people ever go. But that's how big our God is. And so anyway, we, we talked about all that and we talked about us, that we're a spiritual being, that we, we are born again by the Holy Spirit. And when we're born again because we are a spirit, we have a soul and we live in a body, that that spirit man in us comes alive receive salvation when we ask Jesus into our heart and we confess Him as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes in, rebirths our spirit man to make it a perfect dwelling place for Him. And He comes and lives inside of us and your spirit man is perfect from then on. Eternally sealed. (laughs) Your eternity starts right then, which is the third part we talked about. What's the real eternity? Well, it starts at that moment when you were born again for you. It's not when you die. It's when you be, it's when it's actually the opposite. Eternity starts when you become alive. Alive to God in your spirit. And provision is made for your soul and your body. In fact, right here's the provision for your soul. And Jesus died on the cross when he paid this price 
And, to, and before that, before he went to the cross and on the cross, he, he suffered physically in his body, remember, with the scourging and then with the torture of all that on the cross for our healing, paid for that. But when you're born again, what becomes the perfect you is your spirit man, right? The Holy Spirit comes inside you. Provision is made until you get a new body, physical body, when you go up to heaven someday. But healing is provided in the meantime. But your, your mind and your body didn't become perfect at the moment you're born again. And so eternity started for you, the real you, Mr. Spirit Man you, when you were born again. But you've got to deal with this partnership, the soul and the body that we call the flesh, or the Bible calls the flesh. And so you've got to deal with that. And left to itself... Your flesh is two against one and it will rule you and you'll be miserable <laughs> because on the inside, the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, 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 do this, do that. And God, God is great. And on the outside, you're going, I don't do what it feels good. <laughs> Whee! And so we learned in, in part two that there's a battle going on here. You got to you got to fight the battle. You, Mr. You, spirit man, have got to take control. But guess what? It's not really two against one. It's you and God against those two. They don't have a chance. (laughs) If you'll stand up on the inside and partner with the Holy Spirit who lives within you, you can overcome the flesh. Somebody say, well, you can't overcome the flesh as long as you're living on this earth because you're living in the flesh. You'd have to die to overcome the flesh. Not true, not true. You had the power of the Holy Spirit. You might not win every battle. (laughs) You might do something really ugly and selfish here and there. But the more you practice and the more you yield to and listen to the Holy Spirit in your spirit, the more opportunity you have to live in this other realm, which is what this whole series is about. And I want to keep reminding you this, is that it's about being more conscious of this other realm more conscious of the kingdom's cause, more conscious of the Holy Spirit and what He's saying inside you, in your spirit, than what all the voices are saying either in the rest of you, what your body's telling you, what your mind's telling you, what all these forces around you are telling you, what NBC's telling you and CNN's telling you. You know, CNN, Andrew says that's the constant negative news. Um, But... More important than those voices, you honor and respect and listen to the voice inside, which is the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your spirit. And, and, and the more we are conscious of, of Him and honor Him. Do you know it honors the Holy Spirit when you make a decision, I'm going, to, I'm going to listen to what you have to say, Holy Spirit, and I'm just going to wait and not take action until, you, until I know I've heard from you. Do you know that honors Him? That honors God, and, and he, he will do everything. He is doing everything, but He will continue to do everything possible to get you that direction, to get you that word. You may not be perfect in everything else, but if you honor and reverence that presence of God living on the inside of you, and you keep that priority in your life, you won't have 
You won't, you won't, you will not stumble. You will not have issues that you cannot overcome. There's so much to be said for being honoring and faithful to God and to the voice of God. That will always lead you in the right direction, even when you make mistakes. And so, that's what really all this is about. We talked about then the true eternity and how it starts when you're born again and what it is and what it isn't. And then we talked about healing. Did I mention that that provision that's made for us and how Jesus died for that and how we should, we should fight sickness and disease. We should, come, we should not let it overtake us. We don't feel condemned when we get sick, right? But we're not satisfied staying sick because provision has been made for us, paid for by, at a terrible price, so that we could continue to live focused on what we're hearing in our spirit and not be distracted by the ailments and the symptoms and the uh, sicknesses that come against our physical body that tend to, to grab our attention, grab our focus, and hinder us physically from going and doing things that God has called us to do. Do you know when you get sick, especially when you get real bad sick, like with the flu, you can't carry on your normal routine, right? It's not even a good thing to try to carry on your good routine because that's when you need to, you need to focus on that thing and you don't want to spread it to other people, right? Don't go to work if you got the flu, <laughs> you know, and so forth. And they'll tell you that. Um, so those things hinder the routine or the things that God has called you to actions he's called you to take, right? That, that's one. If there's nothing else, that would be one indication the sickness is not from God, right? If God called you to be in the ministry or God called you to be a witness on your job or God called you to be a part of a Bible study or something like that and you're sick and you can't go, then that's hindering you, right, from what God's calling you to do. This is not, this is not deep thinking, right? This is, this is pretty simple. Then that can't be from God, right? Which we know there's a thousand other reasons why that's not from God because the Word says so. But just think about it logically. If God's saying, be a part of, of, a, of a weekday Bible study and then you get sick, you want to go, you want to be a part of it every week, but you can't go because you're sick, Is that fulfilling God's will then? <laughs> no. I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you if you get the flu and you can't go to Bible study. I'm just saying that's, that thing's an enemy. <laughs> don't let it rule you. You don't have to. Why? If Jesus hadn't paid for, for sickness and disease, paid the price for it, you'd have to let it rule you. But he paid a price, so don't let it rule you. Take what he gave you and apply it and fight that thing. Now, see, a lot of people get offended at this. I don't know if any of y'all got offended or somebody that's not here is not offended. It could be why they're not here. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, I didn't write this. I didn't, I didn't make up salvation. I didn't fabricate the fact that Jesus took a scourging and that Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before that, that by his scourging we would be healed. I'm just telling you what the Word says. And so... It's easy to get offended at the Word. It's easy to get offended at God. 
But I'm just telling you, God made provision. If you think deeper about it rather than focusing on yourself and you think about the provision, you have to see how much God loves you. Right? How much He loves us. That He loves us so much. He's willing to risk us getting offended (laughs) because He's trying to get something to us that's going to be a blessing. He loves us. When our... When our children get sick, I don't like it. I want them to be well as quick as possible. And not just so they can resume their routine. I don't like to see them suffer. We don't like to see our children suffer, do we, Carolyn? No. So we want them well as quick as possible. Why would we think God would not be the same? In fact, He's more so. And so... That's the same thing. And then, we, and then we were getting into God's financial system that we got into last week. And I, I want to um, read you the, the key scripture for this again, which is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, and we all established and agreed when we stopped there last week, before Jesus came down to the earth, was he rich? Yes. <laughs> Where he lived, the, the, they used gold as asphalt. Streets are paved with gold. The pearls are so big, they, make, they, they, they tunnel through them and make gates out of them. So, was Jesus rich? <laughs> And then there was a good point made. He owns everything. So you can't even get any richer than that. He's ultra rich. He's the supreme rich. But it says, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. And not just if you stopped there, which is what most people, most Christians do, is stop there and glorify poverty. And say and, and, and brag about all the virtues of poverty. Well, Jesus, he thought it was great to be poor because he gave, it says right there, he was rich, but for our sakes he became poor. Is that where the verse ends? That's just the middle of the sentence. Because following that are two very important words. He became poor for a reason. Right? He didn't become poor to glorify poor. He didn't become poor just so he could identify with the poor. In fact, he didn't need to identify with the poor. He was their creator. In fact, that's a silly notion. Well, Jesus became poor so he could feel everything we feel and everything. Baloney. He felt it already because you were a creation of his. He loved you. Now, that'll rock some people's boat and they'll get mad. But I'm just telling you. It doesn't stop there. He became poor for a reason. It says, so that you, me, you, through his poverty, might become rich. (gasps) Some churches, rich is a sin. It's not a sin. If it was a sin, then Jesus... As, as we all agreed in the first part of the verse, was, was the most ultra-rich you could ever be. 
So was, was God living in sin in heaven before Jesus came to the earth? Is he now? Because as the owner of the universe who lives up there and sits on the, the highest throne in the whole universe with gold and all this stuff around. No, it's not sin. We're taking our time on this verse because this verse is the foundation of understanding God's heart for you and for this financial system that he's set up to, to bless you. Jesus became poor. He took on poverty. He had to take it because he wasn't. He was rich. And he came to this earth, took on poverty for your sake, on your behalf, so that in him doing that, he could exchange it for you, pay the price of it for you, so that you would have the ability to experience like where he came from. And this doesn't mean in the sweet by and by. There's so much in the New Testament that talks about in the here and now. And so, this, this verse is the foundation for this. And we, we went back and looked at verse 1 through 8 to look at the context of all of this. And it was in the context of Paul talking about physical money, taking up an offering for the poor Jews in Jerusalem that were being persecuted and were in financial straits. And these other churches, even though they might not have all been rich at the time they became Christians and the churches started and Paul went around and, and, and was the apostle and discipled them and started these churches, he was taken up for the Jews. Not only, it wasn't just sending benevolence to headquarters, they were going to distribute this amongst the, the believers down there who were suffering financially because of the, of the political oppression that was going on down there. They weren't able to have the normal commerce and to grow their crops and all this stuff because the Romans were, had come during this time and were clamping down on the Jews. And so Paul was taking up an offering and he was sharing this with the Corinthians and explaining how the Macedonians, even though they were poor, when they heard about this offering, they begged Paul, can we be a part of it, Paul? Can we help give? And even though they had been poor, they gave seeing. So there must have been something in this. They must have understood something about giving, right? Because we said, how many, of you, how many of you have ever been to a church service when they announced the offering? Everybody's like, can I give? Can I give? Can we hurry up and take the offering? Because I can't wait. <laughs> this is the way the Macedonians were, though. Paul was describing that. So he was talking about all this and explaining to the Corinthians. He was asking them and talking about how the other churches were participating in this offering and what a blessing it was going to be to sow a seed and be a blessing to these other believers down in Judea. That's the context when Paul said, talking, explaining to them that Jesus paid a price so they wouldn't have to stay poor. So it was talking about real finances here. It wasn't talking about spiritual things. And so it's important to know the context. So anyway, so then we went on and I said we're going to talk about how, how this comes about, this financial system of God, how you get, how you get in it. And then we're going to talk about the what, when, and the where. And so we, we spent some time last week on the how. We talked about Luke 12, and we talked about um, greed versus prosperity, and worry in the world system versus faith and trust in God and His system. We talked about 
how it ends up in this passage in Luke. It's the same as in Matthew 6, where he talks about getting your priorities um, in line with God's heart and with His financial system, which is seeking first His kingdom, like the song said today. More important, put more importance on the kingdom's cause. And if you do, it says, what? All these things will be added to you. If you seek His kingdom, and in Matthew it says, and His righteousness, which that means that right standing or right relationship with Him. If your relations with God and pursuing His kingdom are more important to you than anything else, you make that the first priority, then you've put yourself in a position to receive what He's provided for you in His financial system. All these things will be added unto you. Which is a good thing to consider because if, if you're in lack and, and, and even if you're contending, you've gotten into giving, you're understanding this, God's Word is true. Hang in there. Don't give up. I appreciate this testimony this morning that Haley shared. Don't get weary in your well-doing. <laughs> Don't give up. Just because you have a few setbacks... Is the word true or not? You've got to be determined. Is the word true or not? If you're seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness, the relationship with Him, right standing with Him, all these things will be added unto you. you either got to decide it's true or it's not true. If you decide it's not true, then just black that out or tear it out of your Bible and just say, I'm not going to believe it. But I would encourage you to choose to believe it no matter what you see around you. Because God's word is true. The better thing might be able to do, might be doing this, and I, I don't know anybody's situation. I'm not condemning anybody, but look inside and uh, in here and see what am I missing? Where's my thinking messed up? Am I missing something? And so, maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Just if you're not, just keep standing in faith and keep doing what what you know the word says to do. And pursuing that relationship, spending time with Him. If you are, or if you don't know, or you might be, and you're open to hear if you are, then listen and see what the Holy Spirit will show you. Could be some of these things we cover today in the what, when, and where might be some of the things you might be missing. I don't know. You have to hear and decide for yourself. Let the Holy Spirit show you. But anyway, so that's where we kind of ended up last week. But I said there's more to the house. So turn to Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38. Probably a familiar verse. If you've been coming here long like y'all have, you've heard it quoted here, even if you didn't know where it was from. But Luke 6.38. This is going to tell you how you how you enter the system it starts off with a verb and this is the answer give and it will be given to you okay so is there something you have to do and it is what okay I'm not sure you're convinced. That was really weak. (laughs) There's something you have to do. And what is it? It's what? Give. Give. Okay. 
And who has to give? You. you. God's not going to give on your, on your part when it comes to this. No, He's already given. He's already given everything He could possibly ever give and laid it up for you. You've got to then figure out, how do I make withdrawals? How? How do I tap into the system? This is the answer. You give. When Jesus, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. When He provided this for you, what did He do? He gave. He gave up. Gave to you His riches and took on your poverty. He was an example, right? Everything He did, by the way, is an example for us. He came to live as the Son of Man, not as the Son of God. So he did things as example. So he was the first big giver. He gave up everything. Everything. Ownership in the universe, at least temporarily, to take on our poverty and gave us in the process his riches. Or at least the ability to receive his riches. And laid it up for us. But just like you weren't just automatically born again, right? There wasn't just some point in time and it's like, you, the Holy Spirit came in you without any reason or cause and, and you just were born again, right? Anybody ever received healing that way? Really receive is not a good way to ask that question. Anybody ever got healed that way? Just for no, no reason, nothing, you didn't even receive, you weren't even, you know, whatever, it's just like, just... Sickness just... I would say in most cases you had to receive something. <laughs> you had to pray. You had to receive. You had somebody laid hands on you. Somebody put oil on you and prayed a prayer of faith or something. Right? Does that mean that salvation or, I mean, forgiveness, redemption, or healing wasn't provided for you? That Jesus didn't do it? Didn't do it all? He did it all, right? But it doesn't come automatically. What makes us think that finances come automatically? That the rich that Jesus provided for us comes automatically. I don't have to do anything but sit at home on the lazy boy and eat bonbons. And I'm rich. Well, I am rich as far as my position in God and in His kingdom. But none of it's going to ever manifest me just sitting at home on the couch eating bonbons. Right? What does He say do? Yes, that's the question. What does he say do in this verse? <laughs> give. <laughs> right, give. That's how you enter in. That's the withdrawal slip to the kingdom. Now, there's deeper and there's broader benefits, meaning, and all this. But it boils down to If you don't do the practical, you can't get the deeper. Right? There's no sense in even thinking deeper if you're not willing to do the practical. The practical is, he said, give. Did Paul preach that? Yes, he did. <laughs> this is not just Luke. We just read, didn't we just read and reference a, a passage where Paul was giving people opportunity to give into an offering? He most certainly did. And so, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. In this book, Luke wrote it. So did Luke believe in giving? Yes, he did. 
He did. He said that, and these, and it wasn't the Luke. Luke just recorded this. These are words in red. Who said them? Jesus. So he said, give, and it will be given to you. Now, we're going to pause there in this verse, and we're going to go back and read a couple of other verses in here. I want you to look at verse 20. Verse 20 starts what, what's known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus is going down and saying, blessed are you this, and blessed is this group, and blessed is that group, and blessed because, because, because. And, and, and it's called the Beatitudes. Okay? These are good attitudes to be like. But he, he, the first one... And, and maybe I hadn't even really thought too much about this, but maybe it, there's some significance to the first one. Who's the group he's addressing in verse 20? It starts off, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor. He could have started off with the sick. He could have started off with the, the mean and the ugly. <laughs> but who did he start off with? He started off with the poor. I don't know. Maybe there's some significance to that. He started off with the poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He didn't say, blessed are you because you're poor, did he? He didn't say, blessed are you because you're poor. Stay that way, little darling, because that will keep you humble and sweet. No, he said there's, there's a four. There's a, there's a reason why you can be blessed even when you're poor. And why is that? It says, yours is what? The kingdom of God. Isn't that what we've been talking about all these weeks? Is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. What, what, kind, of good, what kind of news does a poor person need to hear when they're so poor that they can't focus on anything else but their lack? What is it that would be something that, or the first greatest thing they could hear? That there's what? Provision, right? It Wouldn't some of the best news be if we went to the poorest part of town that we could deliver? There's a thousand things we could tell them, but wouldn't one of the most wanted things be is Hey, guess what? We're here. We've got something good to tell you. We're here to deliver news that you don't have to be poor no more. Heaven is yours, right? And we know the kingdom of heaven is not for when you die. Right? We just said it's when you become born again that you enter the kingdom of heaven. The provision. Jesus. Did Jesus uh, take on... Scourging and beating and sickness and disease for us to have healing in heaven? No, there's no healing needed in heaven. Everything's perfect there. Right? Are you going to get sick in heaven? Are the angels getting sick? Does Jesus have to get the flu shot every year sitting on the right hand of God? No! There's no sickness in heaven. You can read about it over in Revelation. It describes it. It's the perfect world. So Jesus didn't take on a scourging and a beating and, and Isaiah prophesied that he did it for your healing so that when you go to heaven you get healed. No, that was for temporary provision for while you're still living on this earth as a child of God. So the same thing here, 
the poor, what's good news to the poor? I'm not going to be poor in heaven either. How could you be poor when you're walking on gold? How could you be poor when you've got a mansion that's, that's been built for you? How could you be poor when there's never any lack? Do people get hungry in heaven, starve? You ever seen any skinny angels? <laughs> Have you ever seen an angel? <laughs> but did Gabriel, you know, talk about him being emaciated and weak and he could barely talk to Mary because he was just starving to death? No. There's no lack in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. Didn't it just say Jesus was rich? Where did he come from? Heaven. heaven. There's rich going on up there. Only. <laughs> so there's no sickness. There's no financial need. So good news to the poor that the kingdom is yours doesn't mean that, well, you're poor, so when you get to heaven, you're still going to be poor, but we'll, we'll find some way to take care of you up there. No, you don't need it up there. You're poor here. Good news to the poor is you don't have to be poor no more. That you have access to the kingdom of heaven. All these things in the Beatitudes were things he was telling them for the here and now. If you're this group or that group or the other group, blessed because here's your provision. Trust God. God has made a way for you. Right? This is the... I don't know how to express this any better, but... Good news for the poor was that the kingdom is here. And he knew he was going to finish the, finish the race and finish his calling and, and pay the price and do this great exchange on the cross so that he could literally exchange the poverty for the rich and give you the rich, take your poverty. He suffered poverty through his, through his ministry the three years. We said he didn't, he didn't, have, he didn't travel around in a motor coach, Right? He didn't have houses in every city that he went in or a palace. He didn't have anywhere. He slept under the stars in most cases. Or in somebody's house where they would take, take him and the disciples in. Remember he told the, the people come to him wanting to follow him? Even the rich young ruler? What did he say? Go give up everything because we, we travel in light, man. We don't have anything. And told somebody else, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Was that God's will for us? No. Jesus was doing it for a reason. Why? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Taking our poverty to give us his riches. Again, people get real offended at this. Do you know people will fight you to be poor and to stay poor? They'll fight you over it. They'll argue you and, and get mad and angry when you tell them this. Because they've been... They've been told the wrong things and misled for so many years. They don't know that verse in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If they've ever heard it, they don't believe it. Or somebody has spiritualized it to them and taken it out of context versus what we just saw. It's talking about finances. Anyway, Jesus says it's good news for the poor that the kingdom is, is theirs. And then look at verse 35. It says, But love your enemies and do good and lend. Now listen how he defines lend. How do we define lend in the, in the world? Ask any good banker. How do they define lend? To get back and get back more for your trouble, right? Make a profit. Look how Jesus defines lend. Are these words in red? 
Yep. But love your enemies and do good and lend, comma. He's defining it. Expecting nothing in return. Wait a minute, Jesus. Not even the, not even the principle? No. Well, that's not lending. That's giving. You're catching on. <laughs> We're getting down to verse 38. <laughs> lend. If somebody wants to borrow, here's how you lend to them. Give expecting nothing in return, and your, your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. How can you give and, or lend and get nothing back, even your principal, not even break even, and be more blessed? There's another system that works differently. That's how. And he goes on to say, For he himself, talking about the Most High, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Oh, I, I wished he wouldn't have put that part in there. Because if I'm supposed to lend and do it such that I don't get any of it back, and don't expect anything in return, not even the principal, maybe I could do that to nice, sweet Christian people, right? Is that where it stops? No, he said, he said that God does it to the ungrateful and the evil. Wow. And he said for us to do it so we could be like God. So if we're going to be lenders like God, we have to give and we have to give to whomever. Not just the sweet people. Not just our church friends. Give to whoever God tells you to give to. Even if they're not Christian. Even if they're ungrateful and hateful. Even if they're never going to come to your church. Even, even, if you, even if they don't want to hear about Jesus. But if God says give to them, give to them. Lend to them in the definition he says lend, which is to give expecting nothing back. Somebody said, I wished he wouldn't have covered that part. Could he not left that verse out? No, because it, it has a lot to say about what verse 38 says. It has a lot to say about how God's financial system works. His financial system is not a tit-for-tat or a quid pro quo kind of system like we operate in in this earthly financial system. The banking system, the money system, Wall Street. It's like you give, you put your money in, and you expect to get, and you're unhappy if you don't, get your money back with a return, right? Isn't that how it works? That's how it works. Right? Do people, do people put money in the stock market hoping they're going to lose it all? Boy, I can't wait till this stock tanks and there's worth nothing. Where can I buy more of it? No, 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 no. That's not how it works, right? You, you do it with something that you believe is going to not only give you your money back, but more. God's financial system works just the opposite. You give and just write it off. And you do it in love, like he did, even if the, how do I know it's in love? Because he giving gives to the ungrateful and the hateful, the evil. And where does then where does where does the where does the benefit come in? The benefit comes in that Jesus already took our poverty. It's not based on me doing something to earn a return. 
I can't earn God's financial system. I can't earn the right to operate in it. I can't earn the right to receive its benefits. Jesus did the earning for me. All I have to do is focus on what he tells me to participate in it. What does he say do? Give to these people. And don't, don't, don't want anything back. Even if it's lending. Because even if you didn't know the need, but they come to you and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, go ahead and give them this or that. Then just do it and say, as we say, no strings attached. Right? Give with no strings attached. Lend with no strings attached. Meaning you don't even want it back. Just forget it. Write it off. God's financial system works on that basis of a heart to bless, not looking for the person you blessed to be the blessing to you. See, like I said, in our earthly system, if I buy IBM or Exxon, who am I wanting to perform to make the value of the stock I bought higher? If I buy IBM, am I going to go watch and see how Apple's doing? No. (laughs) I'm expecting IBM to perform. And for next year, my stock to be worth more than it was this year. I'm not not buying my IBM and then going and reading all about and, and calling up Apple. Now, what are you guys doing with my money? Well, you didn't put any money in here. Right? Call the stockbroker. And you're, interested, you're asking about everything else except the stocks you bought. That would be, be silly, wouldn't it? It would be foolish. That's the way our system works. God's system doesn't work that way, though. It, it puts money in one place and, and knows, well, God will take, he'll send it somewhere else. I've entered the system. And the system will provide the blessings to me. It's a whole different mindset. But it's, it's the kingdom of God, right? So is it, is it supposed to be deeper and higher level operating and thinking than our system? Is it any wonder that it's so radically different than our system? No wonder at all. You think about all the other things in the kingdom. They're much higher, much broader, much deeper. And so... He said to do that. Now look down in verse 38, and we're going to read the last half of the verse, or the rest of the verse. It starts off, given it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So it's give... And it will be given unto you. But we saw up in verse 35. It's probably not going to be the person you gave it to. Because you're supposed to expect nothing in return from them. But this says. They will pour into your lap. I think in the King James it says. And and men will give unto you. Right? What men? The men God leads to give unto you. Some of them won't even realize it's God leading them. You know, your boss just may feel compelled to give you a bigger raise. May not understand why. Boy, I think it's God needs a bigger raise. Okay? That's God. 
right? And so the, the thing is, is we're giving, trusting in his system versus the natural system because the natural system would say, yeah, pay me back the principal and give me 2 or 3% more when you, when you pay me back. God's system says, don't pay me back because God will send somebody else to take care of me. He has it all worked out. How do you know? Well, because the word says so. Has to be faith involved, right? Right? Because you're not seeing it. It's not the person. It's not quid pro quo. It's a different system. It works differently. We're spending time on this because it's important that you understand it works differently. See? Don't, don't cozy up to somebody who's rich in the church or rich in the kingdom out here. You meet them at camp meeting or you whatever because you want you some of it to spill over on you. That's not the way it works. Some people say, well, it's all in who you know. Yeah, well, it is, but not the way you think. It's in do you know the Holy Spirit? <laughs> do you know the Father God? Do you know Jesus who took your poverty and gave you his rich? Then it is all in who you know. But it's not in all in who I can get to know and manipulate and get them to bless me. That's not how the system works. That's the ungodly, worldly system. In fact, that's the, the, the dark side of the earthly system is for people to try to manipulate other people like that. Does it go on in, the, in churches? Not in this one. Does it go on in churches? All the time. In fact, a lot of churches will put the richest guy in the church or that joins the church, they'll put him on the board. They'll make him the finance chairman or whatever. Why? They're trying to get his money. He might, he might be the least mature Christian brother in the whole church, has all kinds of issues that people need to spend time discipling him, but instead they'll put him in a position of leadership because why? They want his money. Is that operating? I'm not, I'm not being critical, but I'm being critical. Is that, is that operating in God's system or the world system? World system. Yet churches are full of it today. In doing that kind of thing. I've heard people personally tell me. About this going on. Now. While. If the person is a strong believer. And, and they've, they've got something going on. For them. They probably didn't become rich. By the world system. Or not by the world system alone. They probably have been honoring God. With their money and so forth. Then yeah. Then. Then. Let them be a leader. Let them mentor other people in that area of their lives if they're doing it in God's kingdom. That should naturally occur over the course of time, right? Because Jesus gave us His riches, right? We should have people rising in the church that are walking in more and more of that, right? And they should be helping those that need to get a hold of it. But it's not that we appeal so we can cozy up and manipulate them. Is this helping? Are you getting a hold of some of this? Okay. And so it says that it will be poured back into your lap a good measure. And not, it doesn't stop there. It says it's going to be pressed down, shaken. What happens when you shake something and press it down? If you've got a container and you, and you, and you, and you let's say it's, it's a powder or solid substance or whatever, because that's easier for you to visualize... And you, and you fill it up loosely to the top. 
what happens when you press it? Makes room for more, doesn't it? And sometimes, especially if it's more like granular, you shake it, what happens? It, it settles and makes room for more, right? Aren't you glad that God just doesn't fill you to the brim on the first try? That, that He makes sure that it gets shaken and pressed so you can pour more on. This is the kind of heart that our Father has. This is the kind of, of provision that God has for us when we give, right? You've got to enter the system. And then here's what the system will do for you. It'll come back to you in a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And then what? Running over. Say, well, that's wasteful. You know what? God's got so much. Is He ever going to run out of provision? Somebody said last week, He owns the whole universe. He's got plenty more. He is so extravagant to you that He doesn't even care if His provision just runs and spills over. This is why, why Jesus was taking the time to explain this so intricately. He wants you to not only see the principle, He wants you to see the heart. The heart is, I don't even care if some of it's wasted. I'm just going to keep pouring it on. That's how much I've provided for you. That's how much I love you. Is I'll pour it on and even it'll just spill over. And maybe somebody will pick up the crumbs and the spill over. But if not, I don't care. I've got plenty more. How many of us have that attitude? You know, a lot of times we spit, we're raking it back in the container. Don't want to waste any. You know, waste not, want not. <laughs> Is that in the Bible? <laughs> no. God is not concerned about that. He is such a bountiful, abundant provider that the way it works normally is for it to just spill over. That's the kind of thinking we've got to renew our mind to as a receiver of God's provision and also as a giver entering into the system. Somebody asked you for something, give them more than they asked for. Say, so, well, that was all the need, just, just give them what, exactly what they asked for. No, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will say, just pay them more or give them more. Well, that's wasteful. Not if God said do it. Why? He just wants to prove that, that you're blessed and that He wants to bless them. He's not the God of just enough. He's the God of abundance. Didn't Jesus say, I've come that they might have life? Period. That's it. All you need. No, he didn't stop there. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This is the heart and character of God. This is the heart of his financial provision to us. It's not just to have enough. And I've said this many times. If for no other reason, you old selfish thing you, it's not just for you. Yes, it's so you have enough that you don't have to take from what you have necessity to be a giver. It's, it's to overflow in abundance so you always have plenty to give. Which is really more important than what you keep. When you really understand how the system works. So it says, press down, shaking together and running over... For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So, would you rather 
be a tablespoon giver or a cup giver or a gallon giver or a peck giver or a wheelbarrow giver or a dump truck giver. Which is better? The dump truck. Because if I give in dump... Is this Jesus' words? It's Jesus' words. Can we take Jesus at his word? Well, then by what measure I give, it'll be measured back to me. Is that simple or what? If I give in dump truck loads, what kind of measure am I going to get back? Dump truck loads. Okay? If I give in tablespoon loads, and again, like everything else we've taught on this, don't be condemned if your giving is at tablespoon measures. Right? Start where you're at. But if you're giving in tablespoon measures, are, are you going to be looking out for the dump truck to back up to your front door? Usually not. Now, if there is a, if there is a crisis situation and you need a miracle, a financial miracle, can God deliver a dump truck to you? Because He's using somebody else who uses dump trucks to bring it, their measure to you. As a gift. Because they need some more dump trucks. To back up to their house. And he's going to use them to be your miracle. But should you expect a dump truck. Just because you gave a tablespoon. No. You can expect a dozen tablespoons. Worth or however much. 30, 30, 30 tablespoons at least. right, Or 60 or 100 right. Some 30 some 60 some 100 fold. That's how it works. But if you give in buckets full, don't expect the wheelbarrow. But what can you expect? Because if you give in a bucket and you get 30 buckets full back, we're just being practical here. Don't, don't get all offended and lose because I'm talking about practical things. But if you give in buckets full and you get, let's say, the minimum 30 buckets back that God moves on some, some way, somehow, and in all, when it all shakes out, you get 30 buckets back. Would that make up enough for you to have left over to have a wheelbarrow full next time? Yeah. How many of you know if you had 35-gallon buckets, that would more than fill a wheelbarrow? Right? Right? Y'all with me? Okay. So if you got 30 back, you probably are, the need is probably not for 30 because you gave one. Maybe the need's for 20 or 18 or whatever. You'd have enough that next time you could, you could take those extra buckets full and fill up a wheelbarrow and say, I'm going, now I'm going to give my, my, my giving is going to be in a wheelbarrow this time. Right? And it may take a period of time for you to move up from one measure to the next measure. But what we're believing for is not the is not the dump truck for the tablespoon. What we're believing for is the ability to be able to give at the next level the next time or pretty soon. So what does that put the emphasis on more than the receiving? Where am I putting my faith? This is a whole other aspect to God's financial system. I put my faith... Not on getting the return back. 
the multiplied measures of the measure I gave, my faith is on moving up to the next measure. My faith, my focus is more on my giving than it is my receiving. See, again, that's just the opposite of the world system. The world system is where I'm focusing is on that return, baby. I'm putting that money in that stock and I want that thing to perform. Right? I'm putting that money in that CD. They told me they're going to pay me 2.5%. I want that 2.5% when the year rolls around. Right? But in God's system, I put my money in. I give. And what I'm really focusing on is to be able to give more. Not not what comes back. That's just going to happen. Why? Because Jesus said it will happen. I just trust that. That's a given. What I'm focusing my faith now on is being a bigger giver. To move up to the wheelbarrow. Right? That's where it's more of an issue of the heart being like God than it is an issue of selfishness. This is the difference where people criticize this message in the gospel where people get off track and abuse. They're really not abusing. They're really not in this system. They're in some made-up system that they think is this system when it's all about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and all these things that people get accused of that are trying to walk by this word because they or the people criticizing them, one or the other, are misunderstanding. It's not about the get back. It's about the more give. But how can you more give if you don't get something back? It's just a means to be a bigger giver. In the process of all of that, you're more blessed. You get to enjoy more because you're at a higher level. Right? But it's the focus is on the giving and the increasing of the giving. Say, well, you want to be rich. That's selfish. No, it's not because I want to be able to give more. If I was richer than I am now, and all you know it's a relative term, right? Rich, poor. Some of you have relatives that understand that, right? It's a relative term, but I want to be more rich. Why? So I can be more giver. Didn't Jesus say it's more blessed to give than to receive? Does that mean we don't receive anything when the, rece- when the return comes? Oh, no, I don't want it, don't want it, don't want it. Well, if you said that, you'd never be a bigger giver. You'd never experience the blessing of giving again. That's not the point. The point is take the return just by trust and faith. That's going to happen. That's got to happen. That's part of the system. But the purpose in it is for me to be a bigger giver. Now that will turn selfishness on its ear. Right? It'd be hard to be selfish if I want to succeed so I can give more. That doesn't even go together, right? Selfishness and wanting to give more. This is the solution to all this criticism about this part of the gospel. Is it's not about you. It's not about being selfish. It's about carrying on the kingdom and being a conduit in the kingdom. Did God create all the heaven and all this just for his own self? If he did, we wouldn't even exist. He wanted to give. He wanted to have some, some creation to fellowship with, to be a blessing. Some, some creation that he could pour his heart out to 
and pour his life and his wealth out to. It blessed him to give. See, people, we're so far from the thinking that God has that it seems foreign to us to say that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard that probably all your life if you've come to church. But you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, it's really not, but that's what they say, so yeah. And, and, and people, when they give in the offering, they're like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Bless God. Although they wanted that money to go spend on their boat, <laughs> you know. No, it's a heart thing. It's an attitude thing. It's understanding God and His kingdom. His kingdom is giving. He's never been anything but a giver. God never takes. Contrary to some people who think He extracts tithes out of their hand when they come to church and that all the church wants to do is take their money. (laughs) Okay? There may be churches like that. Don't go to one. Come to one like this one where I mean, we're not taking your money. You can give if you want to. I don't even look who puts something in the bowl. That's up to you. Up to you and God. I don't care. I do care in that I want you to be blessed. And in order for you to be blessed in God's kingdom, you've got to give. So anyway, we spent too much time on, on this, but we're going to go quickly into the next section, which is what, when, and where. So turn to Galatians 6 and 7. Galatians 6 and 7. Galatians 6 and 7. Remember what we just read in Luke 6, 38. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Does that sound familiar? Whatever measure you meet or give, it will be measured to you. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. So not just the measure, the kind. So if I sow cash... I expect to get a financial return. I'm not putting my faith in the financial return. I'm putting my faith in God and believing to be a bigger giver when that financial return comes. If I sow time, I want to reap more time so I can give more time, right? Anything. Sow talent, sow whatever it is. Maybe you sow food into people who need a meal or whatever. Okay. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean 10 people are going to deliver a meal to your house. But you sowed. Maybe, maybe fixing that meal was time they didn't have. And somebody's going to bless you to help you with something you need done. And you're not going to have to spend your time on it. But it says God's not mocked. This means this works. Don't, don't be fooled. He's not mocked. When he, what he sets to work in a system or how he sets it up to operate is how it's going to operate. That's what that means. And it says, For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. It doesn't just say what he sows. It'll be gone forever, but just love him. No, it, it, you can expect to reap it. So that's a promise. All right, look in Proverbs. That's talking about what we just read there about what? All right, look in Proverbs. Chapter 3, in verse 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. Honor Him from what? Your wealth. 
Okay? Does that mean you can't honor him if you're poor? No, because we said poor and rich is a relative term. Whatever you have is your wealth. Okay? But it also means if you become wealthy, are you supposed to quit honoring God? No. <laughs> honor the Lord from your wealth. Well, I'm gonna st- I-, I could say something else about that, but I'm going to go on. And from the first of all your produce. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When are you supposed to give? Soon as you get it, right? And what is it that you're supposed to give? The first part. Okay, and don't be like... like um, What's his name? Who killed his brother back in Genesis. Cain. Okay, don't be like Cain and, 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 and bring the, the one that was not the best one. God wasn't pleased with his sacrifice. Bring your best one first. Whatever the return is, do it right away. Do the best part and give that back. Sow that to God. Honor the Lord with it. Okay? That doesn't mean, well, I'm going to be blessed. I've got to give this first thing. You know, don't be a plate plunker, as Brother Glenn says. Give out of a cheerful heart. In fact, if you can't, and this is another whole message, but if you can't give out of a cheerful heart, just wait. Just wait. Don't dis, I'm not saying disobey the word, but just wait and obey when you get your heart right. And then give out of a cheerful heart. Because you need to give because... Because what does it say in verse 10? What's the Father's heart? He's wanting you to do this for a reason. It's not because He needs it. The Bible says He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Pastor Jim says if He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, why does He need your bull? Right? He's wanting you to give it because you need to give, to sow, to get into the kingdom and to be able to have a return. So you give of your, from your wealth and give the first. Give the first and best of the, of the return of the produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. Do you know it's a blessing to have your barn filled with plenty? That means you have a storehouse. Most of us aren't farmers. Most of us don't have a barn in the backyard, right? But in our case, the barn can mean your storehouse. A storehouse means your savings account. Okay? So most of us could relate better to this. And some of you could say, well, I don't even have a savings account. Well, that's one of your first problems. Go start one. You know, you can start one with hardly any money or no money. Open one. Why? Because I'm expecting to get my barn filled. Okay? It's a faith act. So you give and you give of the first fruit of your income or of your paycheck or whatever. And God will see that you have not only enough, but you have your barn filled. Your savings account starts filling up. This is how it works. All right? So that's when and what. All right? Look in Malachi 3. Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament, right before Matthew in the New Testament. Some people say Malachi. Okay? It's Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 10. We're still talking about the what? It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 
so that there may be food in my house. Now, this is the Lord, in case you want to read this in context. He's having this conversation with Malachi and what to tell the people. Bring, this whole t- bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. Says who? Who's it say? The Lord of hosts. Okay? This wasn't the preacher. This wasn't the evangelist. This was the Lord of hosts said this. The Malachi. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And that word overflows means there's not enough room for it. It's going to be bursting out. Right? But what does he say do? We know Luke 6.38 says give. Malachi here is more specific. What does he say give? A tithe. A tenth. Okay? And where does he say to give it? He says give it in his house, doesn't he? This is the Lord talking. He says, bring it into the storehouse so that my, there may be food in my house. So, the church is supposed to have a storehouse. The church is supposed to be not so financially strapped that the church doesn't have a savings and can't help and do things and be a blessing. Right? But God said, bring it into my house. Say, well, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. No, I didn't write this. I didn't write this. Okay, you do. You have to do whatever you like. You said, I don't care who puts whatever over here in this wooden bowl. It doesn't make any difference to me. We're not going under anyway. Right. But I want you to be blessed. But I didn't write this. But God wants us to be to as a group, as a church, have the mentality of storehouse thinking. And think about having a storehouse and being a place of blessing where we all give and then we give out. We do things. We get the word out. We help people. We're a blessing in the community. We're a blessing by putting the word out that will bless people's lives. Whatever it is that God's called us to do, that we be about doing that, that we have the capability financially to do that. Okay? Now, he says tithe. Now, some people get hung up on that. Some people get legalistic about that. Well, I'm going to get out the calculator. And when I get paid, I'm going to get it down to the tenth decimal place. And that's exactly what I'm going to write the check for. Okay? That's up to you. That's up to you. Okay? But I would say think about what, how you do things. Because how you do things, by what measure you do it, is a measure that gets measured back to me. I don't want God to get out a calculator on me. <laughs> I want Him just to overflow. I want my return to be spilling over, pressed down, shaken together. I don't want it to be a mathematical formula. But then some people say, well, tithing is Old Testament. You see, this is here in the Old Testament. This was, this was in the law. This was the law. And, and, and Jesus redeemed us from the law, so I don't need to give anything. Well, what did Jesus say in Luke 6.38? Give. Okay? But, I'm here to tell you, tithing, we don't talk about this much, but I want you to understand this. Because I want you to be blessed. But tithing didn't come with the law. Turn back in Genesis chapter 14. Tithing came before the law. Genesis 14. It's always good to go back to Genesis. See how things started off right. 
Genesis 14 and verse 17. Then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. And talk, the him is talking about here is Abram. The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now what does bread and wine typically, typically represent? Communion, right? Or in our case, we celebrate communion to represent what? Salvation by the body and blood of Jesus, right? Jesus had not come and shed his blood and, and sacrificed his body at this point. But there's symbolism in this. There's prof- prophetic aspects to this. That Melchizedek, when he came to Abram after he defeated these kings, what did he bring? He brought bread and wine. Now, he was a priest of God Most High, this Melchizedek. He blessed him, him being Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So who was responsible for the return that Abram got on the sacrifice of going out and giving his time and his... He took all of his um, household servants, the men, to fight against the evil, these evil kings, and defeat them. So he gave, he took a big risk, because he was outnumbered like 10 to 1. Who paid him the return? Was it the kings? The good kings who he rescued? No, you'll find out that Abram took nothing from them. He said, all I want is my expenses for my men. I don't want to take, you don't want anybody to say God, that you made me rich. God is going to make me rich. Who blessed him? Who delivered him from those kings and helped him to defeat him? God, God most high. And sent his own priest over to have communion with Abraham and, and proclaim this to him, that, that he had the favor of God. Look at verse, um, the end of verse 20. And he gave him a tenth of all. Abraham, in honor of what God did for him, he then gave, sowed a tithe to Melchizedek, God's priest, who came out to speak the blessing of God over him. Where did This is the first mention of this ever happening. This is where tithing started. Had the law yet come? No, the law was hundreds and hundreds of years later. came with Moses. The law had not yet come. Now the law picked this up and carried it into it. But Abram started this. Alright, now just so we tie all this together. Look over in Hebrews. Chapter 7. Hebrews 7, starting at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. 
And then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Salem means peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. This was, a, this was not just a normal man, this Melchizedek, that Abraham paid his tithes to. He was God's representative. He was a priest. I don't know. Some people say, well, it was Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that. It says he was like the Son of God, but we don't know for sure. But all we know is he did not have a natural genealogy, it says here. He, he was not of natural descent. And Abraham paid to him a tenth of everything that he had gained. Okay? Verse 4. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren. Although these are descended from Abraham, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Spoke a blessing over Abraham. Sent by God to speak a blessing over him. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. Verse 9, And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. In other words, the priest, the law, all this came after Abraham and Melchizedek, and when Abraham began this practice of honoring God with a tenth, and God blessed him. God used that to, to get blessing to him. He, Abraham did, probably didn't, I'm sure he didn't realize what all that meant, but it put him in a position to be a recipient in God's financial system and the way God operates. And finances, and it blessed Abraham from then on, all his descendants, and they carried this on. Okay? So it started before the law. All right, look real quickly back in Galatians. We're talking about what, when, and where. When, what, is we pay the first fruits, right? And with what, whatever measure we get measured back. When is you do it first. After receiving your blessing. Isn't that what Abraham did? He got, he got blessed by all that he, he took over from these kings. But he paid a tenth right then. Then he gave the rest back. Okay. Um, so that's when. And then we see where. He gave the tenth to the priest, right? The guy who was on earth that represented God and brought communion, brought the word of the blessing of God. All right? See if this lines up in Galatians 6. The one who is taught, this is verse 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now we talked about in Malachi, it says, Bring the tithe, into God says, into my storehouse, into the storehouse, so there's food in my house. In other words, so there's provision in my house. And this says, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. What, what I want to say on this is, I don't think you should limit your giving to a tenth or to a tithe. 
This is all up to you. This is just Scottology. But I think you ought to also give offerings. And if, you, if there's somebody, some ministry that blesses you, you know, whether it's Andrew Womack or Bayless Conley or Keith Moore or, or, or Brother Copeland or whoever, you know, or you, um, you could name thousands of people, you know. Then if they teach you something to bless you, not out of obligation, but according to verse 6 here, it'd be good to be, a, be a, 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 a practical blessing to them. If there's an offering taken and you have something to give and you can give out of the cheerfulness of your heart, give, give something. You know? If it's something you could do for them, you know? maybe you could be a volunteer. Maybe you could do something like that. You know, like common, common things. They're, they teach a lot of good lessons about being a blessing in the community. Maybe we could volunteer or do something for them. You know, but it's it's share good things with the one who teaches. And so, again, it's, it's talking about where do, this is answering. Where do you give? Well, one is given to the to the storehouse, to God's house. The other is wherever you're being blessed and taught or mentored, we could say, then be a blessing to the mentor, to the teacher. Okay, to the ministry that blesses you. It might not be an individual. It might be a ministry or an organization that's a blessing to you or that you see as a blessing or that teaches you a lesson or that helps you to understand things. Then be a blessing to them. See, this is, it gets to be very practical, but yet it's a different system. For the example of common things, you might say, well, I, I never... Hope or expect to be in a position where I need to be a recipient of, of, of benefit from things they're given. Like, in other words, I don't want to be without, without food or without shelter, the things that they help people with. But that's okay. You can give to them. You're not expecting to get back from them. You're expecting to get back from who? From God and the people that He puts across your path to be a blessing to you. But if you sow a seed, for example, to common things or common heart ministries or whatever, then God's going to be a blessing back. So this is the, this is the way the system works. We don't have more time, but, but I, I want to just sum it up with, look at 1 Timothy. We're talking about God's heart. 1 Timothy six seventeen. He says, instruct those, this is Paul, we believe, who wrote to Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world to give all their money away and renounce their riches. Is that what it goes on to say? You sure? Because this is sin to be rich, isn't it? No? You're shaking your heads? No. Okay, what does it say? It says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. <clears throat> How does God supply us? Just enough to get by? Cabin in the corner in the back? Just eking through life? How does it say He supplies us? Richly. 
and he supplies it richly just enough for all your necessities. Don't worry about the luxury. Don't even think about luxury items or anything like that. Just the necessities. What does it say? He richly supplies us what kind of things? All things and to enjoy. Do you know God wants you to enjoy things, enjoy life? Well, you get shouted down in a lot of churches, you say that. Oh, you're just into materialism, brother. No, I'm not into materialism. God is. He was the originator of it. (laughs) Why? Because he just likes to spoil his children. And I'm going to say that's evil because that's God's heart that it says in this verse here. No. Again, am I in this for my own selfishness and just so I can enjoy things? No. Because why? Jesus said, I'm in it to, I get in to give. And, and, and my goal in giving is to move up to another measure. Not what I'm getting back. But do I know God well enough that God wants me to enjoy all the blessings along the way. He wants me to be rich. My father's the richest man in the universe, by the way. And he wants me to be rich. He adopted me into his family. And he didn't just give me, you know, go live out back somewhere in a shack. He brought me into the palace. And he wants me to live in the riches like him. And he's given me everything and made me a joint heir with his first son. And his heart is for me to have everything in abundance. And even when he gives to me, he shakes it and presses it down so that I can get even more. Even when it, wa- even when it overflows and some of it's wasted, he doesn't care. And in the process, he wants me just to enjoy life. Now, if you describe that kind of God to most people, they're interested in what you believe. Because most of them believe in the old hard hearted, mean, old, white-bearded man that's throwing lightning bolts down out of heaven to punish you for everything you ever did. That's their concept of God. That's not the way that... Did we see that image in any of these scriptures we read today? No. Part of understanding God's financial system is understanding God. Understanding His heart as a father. Understanding... How much he loves you. How much he wants to spoil you. Give to you. And that he made a system. So that you can enter in. And you can participate at your own discretion. You can participate as much or as little as you want. Nobody's going to make you want to be rich. Nobody's going to make you use it. You can stay poor all your life if you want to. But Jesus said the good news is. To the poor is the kingdom is available to you. And we should be about wanting to have enough to be a blessing so that we can go out and say that and then live it out to the poor. Not just say, well, I got good news. Jesus came and he paid a price so you don't have to be poor. Okay, I hope that's great news. See you later. I hope you figure out how to get a meal. No. Come and give them the good news and demonstrate it to them and bring some of that, be God's hand and bring some of that to them. Right? And say, you want to know how this works for me? It's because God gave me the kingdom. That's good news. The kingdom to the sick is that he paid for healing. The kingdom to the, to the, the sinner and the one who doesn't know God is that he paid a price for your redemption and your forgiveness. The kingdom to the poor is you don't have to be poor anymore. That he gave you the kingdom and that he took your poverty and gave you his riches. 
There's a good message out on our site, and I didn't even remember we had done this here, but we did it early on, one of the first couple years we were here. And I believe the title of it is Prosperity, God's Will for You, something like that. I would highly encourage, because we didn't have time to cover this very well at all, adequately. I would highly encourage you, even if you don't normally do this, and I'm not saying it just because I preached it, but if you would go out and listen to that message, it is a good, very more detailed message, and we only got one in that series, so it's not a whole series, it's just one. I think it has an orange cover or something, I'm not sure, but anyway, it's in the list, Prosperity, God's Will for You. It talks about all the different aspects of God's prosperity that we don't have time to go into in this. But it goes into much more detail. I listened to it to myself. I thought, God, this is pretty good. <laughs> I wish I knew this guy. But no, it, it really goes into a lot of detail and a lot of different aspects of it. And I think it would be a blessing to you to tag that on to this and listen to it. Um, it's, it's under an hour. You could listen to it in sections and just pause or whatever if you got 10, 15 minutes here or there. But it would be, it would be a, a good thing to, to listen to. So I'd encourage you to do that as a part of this, this whole deal. So we're ending this series with that. And um, next week and the next couple of weeks, uh, Matt is going to be bringing or starting a series that he's going to do here. And, um, and then... Somewhat following that, the first two Sundays in March, Pastor Jim will be back, Pastor Jim Howard, and he's got at least two messages he's going to do um, that tie into the series he did here before, so we got that coming up. Now, today I told you we were going to pray over our, our um, goal sheets, so if, if you brought it, now is your opportunity. Say, well, I didn't finish it. That's Okay. You can, you can go back home and finish it. Let's just pray over it. If you didn't do one, but you want to participate in the prayer, go get one of those empty ones over there, and you can pray over it and make a commitment that you're going to finish uh, seeking God over it and fill it out and start using it. We're not turning these in anyway. They're for you to keep and, and be, keep it in a place where, you, where it's visible to you. You can remind yourself of it. Um, so... I've got a few little things yet to fill in on mine, but I'm going to go ahead and we're going to pray over them today. And, uh, you know, there's, some, there's some, a part on the front where you're supposed to list things that, that were answered that manifested in 2017. I hope you will spend some time doing that part because it, it's a blessing and it's also a testimony to, to you of what God did for you last year. It'll be a good reminder for you to kick off these things that you're believing for for this year. Okay? And we're going to do a, a series. We didn't spend any teaching on this this year. But we're going to do a series that's kind of a higher level of this that, that I believe the Lord's leading us to, to do um, a little later this spring called Making Plans or Making Plans. Make Plans. And plans are the the... Higher level to goal. Goal should fit under your plans. And so you may have individual goals and you may not even know what all plans they fit under. But we're going we're gonna to study on that after a while. So anyway, if you got these, get them out and let's, let's stand. And um, we want to pray and dedicate these to the Lord. Again, if you didn't do one or you want one, 
Go ahead and get it. You can pray over it anyway. And then complete it. All right. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to use our faith. That you gave every man the measure of faith. And you told us that you want us to use our faith. And that without faith, it's impossible to please you. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. We want to hear when we come to your throne someday, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in little things. I'll make you ruler over much. And Lord, mainly we want to honor you with the faith you've given us. No matter what comes to us in return, we want to honor you. We want to honor your name and honor your kingdom and promote your kingdom. So Lord, we lift these things up to you right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for inspiring us over things in these separate areas of our lives that you want us to shoot for this year, that you want us to believe and focus our faith on. And so we thank you for that. We cooperate with you. We determine right now as we are speaking over these that we cooperate with you, Holy Spirit. We will yield ourselves to you over these areas of our life and over these individual goals. And that we will continue to speak and to act in faith over these goals. Because we commit them to you and we commit them to be accomplished. And so as signing, when praying and speaking over these, we commit them to you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us. We receive your help, your direction, your guidance, your wisdom, your understanding, and your knowledge. For these in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now while you're standing, um, we're going to pray over our finances. And if you'll get what represents your... Your finances, and we're gonna. There should be no better day for us to do this than what we've heard the past two weeks, right? And if we're ever excited about it, we ought to be excited about it. Maybe our goal should be a Macedonian. Where when it says it's time to pray, we're finding, hey, bless God, I can't wait. Let's pray over them. Come on. I'm ready. I got my faith out there. Okay. All right. So let's do it. So hold it up, whatever you're giving or if you whatever represents it. You're giving, your storehouse, you're receiving. And let's thank God for it. Father, you are such a blessing. Jesus, you provided for us. You took our poverty. We don't ever have to stay in poverty. Because you took it. You paid the price. We don't have to. We thank you for that. We're, we're, we're appreciative of that. And we thank you for the, the, the blessed uh, eternal life you've given us. We thank you that someday we'll be in heaven with you living in the environment you're in. And you're going to even bring it down to earth. But Father, in the meantime, we thank you that you made provision through Jesus. And Jesus, we do thank you. We, we worship you. We honor you. And Holy Spirit, we honor your leading, your guiding, your direction. And not only when, where, and what to give from our income, but what we do with all the rest, too. That you're, you're the best budgeter, you're the best financial planner in all the world, Holy Spirit. And we thank you that, that you live on the inside of us and that you can speak to us, you can stop us from wasting our money. You can show us how to be a blessing even with the part we keep. Not only to our our family and to our extended family and our neighbors. But but also to anyone we come in contact with. 
that it's not just a, a, a rigidly designated amount that can only be what we give, but we can, we can be directed with any of it, even the part we don't necessarily tithe or give or whatever. So, Father, we just honor you, we bless you, we thank you, and we declare that we are blessed, that we are the prosperous, that we're learning how to walk in your riches, that we're learning how to stretch our faith out for a bigger measure of giving so that we can flow in a greater measure of your financial system and be an even better, bigger giver. Thank you, Lord. We want to be used. We want to be a conduit of your love and of your financial blessing. And so, Father, we thank you for it. We receive it. We honor you with it. We thank you, Lord. We declare by faith that we are the blessed, that we're blessed to be a blessing, that we have all, anytime there's a, there's a need, we'll have to give and we'll be directed by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that for, for giving us the, the, the faith and the desire to be a bigger giver, that we could not only give, but we could be the one that could just pay the bill. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that, that bills are paid, debts are being eliminated across these individuals and families that are part of this church, that we're getting out of debt, that we're debt-free in the name of Jesus, that we receive houses, land, vehicles, everything you've called us to have, even the overflow, we receive it, and we thank you for it. Thank you for giving us the wisdom to use it as a blessing and to be a, a continual blessing in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this church. That, Lord, we have a storehouse. Thank you, Father, for that we're going to have a bigger storehouse. Lord, not only are, th- are these upfits and the, are these bills and things that, that are coming up and these physical things there, we call in the, the finances for that. But, Lord, we call in the storehouse. Thank you, Lord. There will always be meat in the house to be able to give and to bless and to, to be a blessing in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in this area, and anywhere the word can go forth in the world. Father, we thank you for using us as a storehouse blessing in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We receive it. And we honor you with it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today for Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. This message is brought to you by Hope Church. If you would like more information about Hope Church or to listen to more Principles of Faith with Scott Gray, please go to www.hopechurchnc.org. That's www.hopechurchnc.org.